cult demons and the supernatural. Bob Larson. If you ever heard of Bob Larson, he's been around quite a while. He's got a seminar for $39. You can go to the, uh, to the Seattle Hilton or someplace like that. And you can hear this man of whom it is said, no person has been used more mightily of God to help people find spiritual freedom. You can attend his spiritual freedom seminar and you can see the supernatural like you've never seen it before. Let Bob personally pray for you as though his prayer will be better than your prayer. Bob is the world's foremost authority and he has helped thousands find freedom from depression, anger, fear, sexual addiction, alcoholism, and drugs through exorcism and inner healing. Now, uh, I don't know how I got on his mailing list. I've never been to one of his seminars. If I lived in Seattle, I would definitely be going. I'm serious. I want to hear what the guy has to say because he is the world's foremost authority on the occult and spiritual warfare. Really? I wonder what he's figured out that God didn't tell us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I want to read this scripture together with you. Before that, I want to look right here. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our... And, our, and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us, how many things, class? All. How many? All. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped... The corruption that's in the world through lust. I'm sure Bob is sincere in what he's doing. I don't judge his heart. But you know what, folks? This is the expert you need to consult if you want to be victorious over the devil and his minions. And the passage that we are considering is the prime passage you ought to be studying in that. We're going to read it together. I've put it on the screen this week. There is a card in your, in your bulletin to help you memorize it. And I hope you're working on memorizing it. Let's read it together now. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Last week, we considered the first uh, few verses of this passage, and this is what we learned that Satan's tactics are. In the New King James, the word wiles is used. In the NIV, I believe it's devices. The actual Greek word is methods, the methods of Satan. What are his methods? We learned that they are these. Satan contradicts God's word. Satan obscures God's goodness. Satan short-circuits God's plan. Satan embezzles God's position, and he coerces God's people. And in all these tactics or methods of temptation, his goal is to get us to retreat from our growth and progress in Christ. He wants us to surrender the ground we have taken in our battle for godliness and ministry and move backward into lukewarm, do-nothing Christianity. He wants us to be people who sit in the pews but don't walk the walk when we go out the door. And against this wickedness, God has given every Christian an impenetrable suit of armor. This isn't a suit of armor that kind of works. It absolutely works. You don't need Bob Larson to exercise your demons, in part because you don't have one. You're not possessed, but furthermore, exorcism is not going to help you overcome Satan's oppression. The armor is going to defend you against his oppression that comes to us primarily through the world. And the first piece of the armor is the foundation for the entire battle. Look at verse 14, please. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. New King James says, girded your waist with truth. The King James says, having your loins girt about with truth. The NIV says, put on the belt of truth. Get the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is a hard phrase to translate in a meaningful way because the words in the day of Christ, in the day of the Apostle Paul, were extremely plain and and, uh, very full of an illustration. But today... Um, things have changed, and so we don't grasp it completely. Uh, one commentator put it this way, the order in which the pieces of armor are described is the order in which the soldier would put them on. Now, I, I am going to very roughly try to approximate this for you today because I think you need to get a picture in your mind a little bit. And uh, my... Uh, As I told my uh, wardrobe assistant, she was gone on vacation this week, so I couldn't get a proper robe made, so I made one out of a sheet. (laughs) Have you studied the costumes of the day, of that day? Okay, would it kind of be like this? Maybe they'd sew this part together, something like that? Okay. They had an undergarment that was kind of like this. Okay. Please don't think of underwear, but they would wear this and they would wear a robe on top of it or, or some other clothing on top of it. Do you remember when they talked about the clothing of Jesus? It was woven in one piece. Okay, One piece. So something along this line. Somehow they would... They, you know. Now, here's what you have to remember. 
They didn't wear baggy clothes because of style. They didn't have zippers or buttons or, or even a belt like we have a belt today. And so the whole throw a thing, a sheet over your head was, was kind of what they had to do. And, and, and they had some things that were like robes that they might be wearing over the top of this. But what they did around their waist was they took what we would call today a sash. And we call it a sash when it's a piece of cloth. We call it a belt usually when it's leather or some other kind of material. But if it's cloth, we call it a sash. And of course, you know, it could be big or fancy. It could roll around there a couple of times, whatever. But that was kind of how they dressed. Okay? Obviously, I'd be a very poor man in the day of Paul. (laughs) But that was it. Now, what he says here, when he's talking about the belt, he actually doesn't use the word for belt or the word for sash or piece of cloth. He uses the word for wrapping up something around. The word girt in the King James is a pretty good word. We actually use the word girth when we talk about how big something is around. And what he's saying is, he says, take the belt you're wearing and take your clothes and tie them up and get ready to do some work. And they, if they were going into battle, or if, if it was a farmer getting ready to farm, you can imagine if you're dressed like this and your robes are flopping in the wind, you're not ready to, to do hand-to-hand combat. And so they would take their clothing and, you know, uh, forgive me, but I don't know exactly how they would do it, but they would get it all tied up, boom, and so they're ready to move around. Without tying up their clothing, they were sort of flapping in the breeze, and they were not ready to do work. Now, the significance of the armor here is not the pieces of the armor. It's using the image of the armor to illustrate the spirit, how the spiritual truth helps you. And what he says here is, taking on truth is similar to a soldier wrapping up his clothing and getting ready to do battle. And, and it is significant, as the commentator that I read said, the order in which the pieces of armor are described is the order in which the soldier would put them on. This first thing is, is properly not a piece of armor. This first thing is preparation to put the armor on. They would get their clothes, you know, the robe, as we would think of it, all tied up and out of the way. Then they would put the armor on. So what does God say is the first preparatory element you must do to fight the devil. He says you must put on truth. You've got to put on truth if you're going to be ready for action. Why does he say you've got to put on truth? Here's why. You are of your father the devil. This is Jesus talking to some sinners. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Why is truth foundational to your stand against the devil and his forces? Because if you know the truth, you will be able to identify the lie. Satan, everything that Satan tempts us with is a lie. Paul warned Timothy about this in this passage. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, and the latter times, by the way, is the time from Christ until the end. And so, yes, we are living in the latter times. 
Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith or from the true faith of Christ, giving heed or paying attention to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. This is essentially an illustration. They're making up rules that aren't in God's word. He says that is what is going to happen in this era in which we live. Even people in the church. As we approach the spiritual battles in our life, we are either following the truth of God or the lies of Satan. There is no middle ground. Even if you are following what you believe to be your own personal philosophy of life, you are following Satan whose greatest lie is that you don't have to follow God's commands. And so the question I ask today is, do you know enough of the truth to spot the lies? When they train treasury agents, they teach them everything about money. And so when they pick up a phony bill, right away they can say, it's too light, it's too thin, the color's wrong, you know, and now there's all these security features that are put in. You know, I take a $20 bill to some restaurant and they want to hold it up to the light and put a pencil on it. I'm thinking, hello, I'm not bringing you no funny money. But I could be, because I might not be able to spot the phony. I might think it's real. Can you spot the spiritual phony? You see, you can't, it's not desirable, nor is it possible to study every false idea in the world. If you're going to study every false idea so that you know the false ideas, you'll never study the truth. But if you know the truth, you can immediately spot what is wrong. Let me give you a simple illustration. What is the most simple definition of what God says is right in terms of sexual morality? It's in Hebrews 13.4. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and other sinners, God will judge. Now, when Satan presents a lie to me that says... A family is anything or anyone you want to include, whether it's two men, two women, or three or four, or whatever. I can immediately go, wait a minute. Marriage between a man and a woman, that's honorable. That is undefiled. Is it okay to have sex outside of marriage? No. Marriage is honorable. If I know the truth, I can tell the lie. I can see it coming. And so we've got to be people of the truth. We've got to be people of the book. What is a Christian like who doesn't have the belt of truth tying everything together? This is what they're like. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, who is Christ. What's the number one way to sell a book in this country? What's the number one way to sell a book in this country? <laughs> That's right. That's right. If you can be on Oprah and have her recommend your book, boom, it's a bestseller. How many of the books that Oprah has on her show does she believe? Every single one. And which ones have transformed her life? Okay, I'm not here to criticize Oprah. I'm here to use her as an illustration. Oprah tossed to and fro 
with every wind of doctrine. The most recent one was the secret. The secret. Some guy, he knows all about life. But it hasn't helped her to have a relationship or to control her weight, either one. But boy, it's a great book. And next year, there'll be another book. And next year, there'll be another book. Folks, where's your truth coming from? I I use the word truth loosely there because if it's coming from any place but here, it isn't truth. You can have philosophy, you can have ideology, but if it doesn't come from here, it's not truth. And you see, what God says is this is the only truth... These are the only words that are so powerful they can discern down to the thoughts and intents of the heart. You want to know yourself? You want to know whether you're doing the right thing? You read this book. Don't take the marriage test in Cosmopolitan. Don't read the Ladies' Home Journal to find out if your marriage is going to survive. Read 1 Corinthians 13. Take that test. And if you have mastered that test, then you can criticize your spouse. The truth will change your life, but nothing else will. We already read 2 Peter 1, verse 4, which says, This is the way to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Boy, there are, there are crazy things happening every day. And the only way you will escape being one of those people who lands in the paper is through God's truth. This is important not only for us in the world, but it's important for us in the church. Because God says that there are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers, his demons, and his humans that follow his demons, transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Folks, you need to be a person of the book when it comes to Christianity as well as to the world. When you read the paper tomorrow, you need to know this truth, and it needs to be like a a screen that screens everything that comes in. If you leave your mind open without the screen door of truth to filter all that enters, you will get a mind full of bugs. And your life will show that. God says, take the belt and get yourself ready to do battle. The belt of truth. Make sure you're living in God's truth. That's the preparation. Secondly, after we grab a hold of the foundation of truth. We need to get the protection of righteousness. Look at me. Look with me, please, at verse 14 again. Stand therefore, having girded your waist, having tied up your clothing and prepared yourself for battle with truth, having then put on the breastplate of righteousness. doesn't take a lot of imagination to think of the breastplate. It was a covering over the front. Sometimes it would go all the way down to here. And it would also be covering on the backside. And sometimes it might be, we've seen pictures of a solid piece of metal or a coat of mail, which is a bunch of chain woven together, or pieces that would lay over each other like that, pieces of brass, so it would sort of look like fish scales going down. Of course, the goal was to protect the vital organs. And he says the thing that protects your vital organs, your vital spiritual organs, is righteousness. 
You need to put on righteousness. Once you have committed to the truth, you need to put on righteousness. And this righteousness begins, of course, with our salvation. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. You cannot put on a protection of righteousness if God has not, first of all, put the righteousness of Christ in you. And that comes through faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and faith in him alone. If you've never come to that point, you are not defended against the devil. That is the beginning point of putting this armor on, to come and say, I'm a sinner and Christ is the Savior and and I receive him as my Savior. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge that he is God. And you commit yourself to Christ in that way, and God puts his righteousness in you. And what that means is that you now have the potential to live in his righteousness. Can you imagine Jesus ever giving in to the temptation of the devil? Well, no, he he was perfectly righteous. Bingo. And we have his righteousness in us, but now we need to live in that righteousness. Colossians 3 tells us about that. He says, if you were raised with Christ, when you believed in Christ as your Savior, you were raised with him, then seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore... Put to death your members which are on the earth. And he lists a bunch of sins, and there's more listed after this. I use this just as an illustration of what's given to us over and over in the Scripture. He says, first of all, you are righteous because you're in Christ. Now, take that righteousness and exercise it. Take that righteousness that's in you and act righteously on the outside. Here, he lists a bunch of sins to put off. Later in the passage, he lists sins to put on. The connection between righteous living and protection from Satan is illustrated for us in this passage. That you should put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ah, I didn't go quite far enough. Here it is. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. In this passage from Ephesians 4, he says the same thing as Colossians 1. You're saved now. Act like it by living righteously. And what he says here is when you act sinfully, you give a place to the devil. Let me put it in terms of the the armor. If I put on something that is supposed to cover my midsection, it's the breastplate. And it's going to protect me from a sword thrust. It's going to protect me from an arrow. But I don't put it on right there. What's going to happen? Well, right there, I'm vulnerable. So in your Christianity... Is the righteousness you put on as complete as you possibly can make it, as 
complete as you know? Or is there one section right there where you say, you know, this part's all righteous, but this part, I, I know it's not quite right, but it'll be okay. When you do that, you leave yourself vulnerable to attack. Here, the specific example is if you, let your, if, if you do not resolve issues that make you angry by the end of the day, you are stewing on the anger, and the result is you're giving a place to the devil. image that comes to my mind is giving him a place at the table. We're going to have dinner tonight. Set a place for the devil. Of course, none of us would do that. None of us would say that. But a sinful life leaves holes in the armor which leave us open to attack. One sin leads to another. This is explained a little bit more in Romans 13. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. The question comes from this passage, are you planning to live righteously? As you get up in the morning, are you planning to live righteously? You see, if a soldier was going to go into battle, he's going to make preparations for battle. He's going to say, well, I'm, I'm going to do battle, and I know those guys have arrows, so I better put on the breastplate. But here, this person is saying, you know, I know they have arrows, but I don't think it's going to matter. I think we're going to be too far away, so I, don't, I won't worry about the breastplate today. Do you know some police officers still choose not to wear a bulletproof vest? You know, the statistic is something like 70% of the police officers in the country wear a bulletproof vest. Either they or their department are not choosing to give them the armor. I can't fathom that. Why in the world would you go out to possibly face people with bullets not wearing the armor you're given? But it's the same thing for a Christian who gets up not planning to live righteously or not planning to completely live righteously. Do you know what a partially righteous life is? It's a sinful life. In the book of Revelation, Jesus said, I wish you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. God says there is no such thing as middle of the, ground, middle of the road on righteousness. If you're living in sin, if you're allowing a sin in your life, the temptations which Satan has placed in the world will just scream at your human nature and you will surrender. Here's an example of, of how this works um, you know, in the church even. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. If indeed I have forgiven anything, I forgive that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we're not ignorant of his methods. He says, look, if you are not in the habit of forgiving people, what's going to happen is Satan is going to use that to control you, to get to you, you will succumb to his temptation. Forgiveness is a command of God. It's one of the aspects of our righteousness. If we're going to stand against Satan, we have to have the foundation of truth. We have to have the protection of righteousness. And then we have to have the traction of the gospel. Look back with me at Ephesians 6.14. Stand therefore, having wrapped up your clothing and prepared yourself for battle with a, a belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and verse 15, having on your feet put on 
the gospel of peace. Again, it's an interesting way that this is written. He does not use the word for shoe or boot or even sandal. He uses a word that means to tie something on. And he essentially says, on your feet, tie the gospel. Tie it on. The common shoe of the Roman soldier had a three-quarter inch thick sole with nails sticking out like cleats on some of today's athletic shoes. Obviously, we can imagine that this gave them traction. Probably gave them a lot of knee injuries as well, you know, as cleats do athletes today. They were the first wearers of cleats probably in, in, uh, you know, in the modern time. But it obviously gave them the ability to put their foot down and not to be pushed off of their, uh, off of their footing very easily. God says, for the Christian, the gospel gives us traction to stand against the devil. So what is the gospel? I would offer this definition today. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word gospel means good news. What is the good news? The good news is us and God are brought back together. We are reconciled to God. And along with that good news comes this. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Often when we think of the gospel, we think of the truth which is about heaven. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's good news. It's great news to go and sit beside the bed of of Pearl Gitts and to have two of her granddaughters across the way and for them to talk about her faith in the Lord and for us to read scripture and pray together and for them to rejoice through their tears because they know grandma's on her way to heaven. That is good news. Wow. And the result of that good news is the devil cannot bowl you over. You have traction. When he comes along and says, you're going to die someday, you look him right in the eye and go, bring it on. I'm ready to go. And truly, none of us are in a hurry to leave. Grandson was just born. You know, but I'm not afraid of going. There is no power of death over me. Because of what God has done. How does this give us traction in the fight with Satan? Well, it gives us traction over death. It gives us traction here. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe. When Satan comes and tries to whisper to you, you're pretty sinful. Don't you think God's kicked you out of his family? You can say... No, I know these things, that I have believed in Christ and he has given me eternal life. And when it gets really tough and your heart condemns you, you plant your feet down and you say, I know I'm a sinner and I know I fail God, but God is so great, he's going to be merciful to me. And when the battle gets hard, we say, I am of God, and I have overcome him, because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. 
There's my grandson. And his beautiful mama. Grandma. Never know anymore. Even young people like us have children. God deliver me. I'm going to put my feet down on that one. (laughs) See how much he looks like me? I'm not just his namesake. You bet the genes are strong in our family, or weak as the case may be. There's his mama. They prayed for children for years. And we prayed for them for years. And it looked medically like hope was gone. But here's the, here's the lesson. The doctor came in and just checked up on her. We're all sitting around there. And he goes, wow, you only had to push for 30 minutes. He said, that's something to brag about. Said, A lot of women have to push for two hours. Or longer. My daughter was glad, my daughter-in-law, that she was glad she only had to push for 30 minutes. But you know what? She would have pushed for two hours. Because that boy would have been worth that effort. Now here's the question I want to ask you today, Christian. Are you willing to put in the effort that it takes to put on the armor of God? See, sometimes we look at the Christian life and say, oh, I, I want it to be natural. I want it to just well up inside me. I, you know, it's so hard to be a Christian. Yeah, it is, but the victories are so sweet. Are you willing to go through the effort to receive the blessing? It is a command to put on the armor. God will not put it on for you. When you start to pick it up and put it on, he'll help you. He'll make it real. He will make it effective. But you've got to pick it up. Truth, righteousness, gospel. Are you wearing those this week? Heavenly Father, help us. We are lazy by nature. We love pleasure more than work. We need your help. We need your spirit to motivate us to get up tomorrow morning, get the word open, get our prayer going. And we need your help throughout the day so that we might live in this armor. In truth, in righteousness, and in gospel. Help us to live in it, Father. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.